Good morning, friends. If you, have, if you want a Bible to use during service, Alan's got one and Carl's got them, so put your hand up and they will walk the aisles and bring you one. And after they do that, we will pray. Happy New Year. It's 2020. Apparently, these don't do me any good. Yeah, bad jokes, right? Where's Barbara Walters? All right, let's pray before we get too off track. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather. Lord, we thank you that you have seen fit to give us another year. That you have allowed us to gather in your name for your glory and for our good. Lord, if there is anything that would distract us this morning from putting our focus on you, may we lay it at your feet now. May we cast aside any distractions. May we look to you and behold your glory. Lord, with the psalmist, we echo what he said in Psalm 34. We will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on our mouth. Our soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with us and let us exalt in his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Lord, as we look to you, may we behold your glory, and may it transform us, and may we never be put to shame. no matter what we go through, no matter what we face. May our hope be in you. Lord, as we turn to your word now, may we give it the proper attention it is due, knowing that it is profitable for us, that it comes from your very mouth, that we can depend on it in every season, every time, and that it never returns void. As always, may the words on my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to John chapter 1. If you have one of the foyer Bibles, that is page 1053. We're starting a series today, a, uh, a book study. We're going to go through the Gospel of John. And It is going to be awesome. I am so excited to do this. John's gospel is, well, it's amazing. We are presented with a picture of Jesus that elevates our understanding of who he is with beautiful imagery, rich theology, and wonderful stories. If you know stories from the life of Jesus, I bet you you probably know one from the Gospel of John. There's a few in there that we love to recount and hear about and tell about. 
there are images that, or word pictures that Jesus uses in the gospel that we have held on to and clung to as his people. He's the light of the world. He's the bread of life. These are word pictures that are used throughout John's gospel that we will, uh, we will see and we will hopefully have our hearts warmed and encouraged as we look to them. I've affectionately entitled this series, this study through this book, The Magnificent Messiah, a study through John's gospel. Because I want us, every single one of us, and this is actually the hope of all your pastors, is that as we study John's gospel, we will have our hearts warmed with, towards Jesus. That we will look to him and gain additional adoration, see him for who he really is, the God of the universe, and worship him in light of that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that when we behold the glory of God, we are transformed by the glory of God. And it's our hope that as we behold Jesus, we will be transformed. We will be made more into his likeness. Jesus is truly magnificent. And John's going to show us why. Now before we uh, dive into his word, it's important for us to consider who's writing this book. Who's writing the Gospel of John? Believe it or not, the title, the Gospel of John, is not actually on the original copy. Um, it, they didn't have that on there when he originally wrote it. But church history has told us that John, the apostle, one of Jesus' disciples, is the one who wrote it. And that is universally attested to in the early church. This is John, who was a fisherman, a man who was working beside the Sea of Galilee when Jesus came up and said to him and his brother while they're working with their dad, come and follow me. This is John, who he and his brother convinced their mom to go ask Jesus to let them sit at his right and left hand when he comes in his kingdom. This is John, who actually in this gospel never refers to himself. He only calls himself the beloved disciple, or the disciple, or a disciple. He is never talking about himself by name. Tells us something about him. He is writing this at the end of his life. He's probably towards the end of his life in his 80s maybe. This is about 85 AD. All his friends who started following Jesus with him are gone. His brother James who also followed, with, followed Jesus with him has been dead for 40 years. He had to see his brother die for their Lord. Peter has been gone about 20 years, having been crucified upside down in Rome. Paul has been gone for about 20 years, having died in Rome. John's friends are gone. Every single one of the other apostles at least church history tells us, was martyred for their faith, where John dies of old age. He has found himself in Ephesus, helping pastor the church, lead the church there, and coming to the end of his life, he considers it important to relate to the people what he knows about Jesus. The stories that he has told that have not been recorded in the other Gospels, the stories, the words, the teachings of Christ that he doesn't want to get left behind. And he actually tells us why he writes this. 
And that's in chapter 20, and I'll just read it for you. He says in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants everyone that will read this book, including us, whom Jesus actually prayed for in chapter 17, he wants all of us to have life by believing in the name of Jesus. That is why John writes, he wants us to believe in Jesus. And we will see why we should put our faith in Jesus throughout this book. Jesus is going to make radical declarations about who he is and verify it with miracles. Jesus is going to make statements that make people mad and he's going to verify it with miracles. Jesus is going to be put on display and we'll take some pit stops along the way as we go through the Gospel of John. Uh, over summer, we'll, we'll take a detour into the Old Testament and then when we get back to Christmas, we'll do Advent. But this is going to be our focus and our direction for the better part of two years, probably. There's a lot in John. There's a points where we will go really fast and there will be points where we will go really slow. Because there are points where... <laughs> If we go fast, we're going to miss way too much. And that's, that's today, right? Today, John's gospel, we start in verse 1. And let's read what it says. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. There's a lot in there. John is making an introduction for us to who he is going to spend the next 21 chapters revealing to us. If you're writing down a big idea for today, it's we are introduced to the divine word that will be revealed to us. It's definitely not that. <laughs> we could sing again, but you guys don't want me to sing. The big idea is that we are introduced to the divine word that will be revealed to us. This section of John's gospel is called the prologue. It's the, it's the beginning stuff, the stuff before the start, story gets going. The prologue runs for 18 verses, and in this part of the prologue, John is introducing us to who he is going to show us the remainder of his gospel. He's trying to pull us into the bigger story of scripture that goes beyond what we will see in the flesh and blood life of Jesus. He wants to pull us in and show us who this person is that we are going to see over these next 21 chapters. This is a much bigger story than about a man in Galilee in AD 33. 
This story goes back way further than any of them really thought. Goes beyond what they could even comprehend. And he's going to reveal to us who this is. He's going to, he's going to show us three things here. He's going to show us the words nature, the words action, or the words activity, and the words victory. The words nature, the words activity, and the words victory. The first thing John shows us is the words nature. This is in verses one to four. And John starts by saying, in the beginning, that's before anything was created. If you know your Bible stories, if you're familiar with the scriptures, this is ringing in your ears, right? You know these words. If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you don't know these words, it's okay. John is echoing the very first verse of the Bible, which says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is echoing this language, showing us and connecting us to the bigger story, the story that goes to before any of this took place. The story of God. This shows us the pre-existence of the word. The word was there before anything was created. Before the chair that we sit on, before the stars in the sky, before the animals on the ground, Jesus was there. The word is, was pre-existent. He's not a created being. We also see that he was with God. And this shows us his presence and his personhood. Jesus was both present with the Father and he has personhood. If you had just read this as the word and you didn't have these contextual clues, you might assume that this might be a, uh, a force that has no personality no interactivity, it was the force from Star Wars that doesn't really do anything, doesn't have an opinion, doesn't talk to you. But no, this word is a person and was present with the Father before time began. He was in relationship to God from the very beginning. They were interacting with one another, they knew each other, they were together in intimate relationship before anything was made. They were giving and receiving love before creation. They were giving and receiving honor before creation. They were giving and receiving glory before creation. And this is wonderfully good news for us, friends, because it shows that our God is self-sufficient. Our God does not need to create to have an object to love because he was able to love before anything was created. Our God is utterly self-sufficient. Within the Trinity, as they danced amongst one another before creation, before anything was made, they gave each other reciprocal, perfect unity. Our God, who is being revealed to us, is self-sufficient. And the beautiful thing about this is the idea of using the word and this idea of personhood shows us that God desires to reveal himself. He self-discloses himself 
to humanity. He has not left us to grope in the dark to try and find our way to him. He has revealed himself through nature and through his word. This word and this word. We have God revealed to us. And then the next thing, perhaps the most critical thing in the entire passage is that the word was God. Now, if you are slowing down and considering what this says, you might be thinking the word was with God and the word was God. How does that work? This is the Trinitarian nature of God, has, how he has revealed himself, and it is a mystery. It is not a contradiction, it is a mystery. Those are two different things. Something can be a mystery and not be a contradiction. God has revealed himself in the scriptures that he is a trinity, that he is three, three persons and one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-equal, same substance, same power, same character, same nature, all of it, the exact same from eternity. They're all the same. Friends, every analogy you have ever heard about the Trinity is wrong. Every time you have heard someone say, well, the Trinity's like water. That's modalism. The Trinity is like being a father and a brother and a child, it's modalism. The Trinity is one God in three persons. We, we have no analogy for it because it is unique to God. Only God is Trinitarian. Friends, this is critical. This is a doctrine that if we reject, we are on the road to eternal separation from God. This is a doctrine that we must affirm because it is who God is. It is who God has said he is. It is who God has revealed himself as. To reject the Trinity is to reject how God has revealed himself in this word. The word is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They all beautifully make up the Trinity that we refer to as God. But then we also see another aspect of the Word, and it's in verse 3, and it says, all things were made through Him. Shows us that He is uncreated. If you were to take two circles and put them on a piece of paper and draw them and you were to say, created things and uncreated things, the word belongs in the uncreated circle. He was not made. Everything was made through him. The things that belong in the uncreated circle are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything else belongs in this circle, in the created circle. This is amazing news. Because that means that any enemy that you face, any trial that you come to, anything that opposes you is ultimately under the one who created it. The boss that 
is a jerk to you, he was created by Jesus. The flesh that is in you that makes you desire to do things that you don't want to do was created by Jesus. It's all under him. Jesus is the creator of the universe that you can know. He is the uncreated one. And then another thing we see is in verse four. It says, in him was life. Life is a fundamental characteristic of God. And often in science textbooks, you'll hear now that there was, first there was matter, and then somehow matter magically transformed into life. That is not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that there was life, and then there was matter. Life existed in the Godhead before anything was created. Life was residing in Jesus, and it comes from him. It emanates out of him. Out of the Trinity comes life. Life does not magically happen. It has a source, and the source is God. So we see that the word is pre-existent. The word is present. He is personal, is God. He's uncreated, and he has life. Those are the nat- the, his nature according to this passage. Well, that's not all we see in this passage. We also see the word's activity in verses three and four. Look at verse three again. It says that all things were made through him. He is the creator. Everything you see, everything you touch, everything you look at was made by God. Hear what Paul writes in Colossians chapter one, verse 17. Colossians 1, 17 and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the source and sustainer of all that exists. Jesus is the creator of all that we see. He's also the sustainer, the maintainer. If Jesus so desired, if he just wanted to, he could just stop it and it would all miraculously disappear. But he does not because he maintains it because he is faithful. The pencil you are holding, the pen you are holding, the paper that your Bible is made out of, the atoms in your hand were all created by him and for him, for his glory. But he doesn't just say that he's the creator. He also says that in him was life. Meaning that Jesus is the source of life. And now, one thing that we need to know about John is John likes to use words that can have multiple meanings. And this is one of those times. This word can mean both physical life, like, the air, like all of us are breathing, so we are physically alive. Your dog is physically alive. The trees outside are physically alive. Your neighbor's cat that really annoys you is physically alive. But it can also mean spiritual life. And John is using words in such a way that he kind of wants us to pick up on both meanings. So Jesus is the source of physical life. Jesus is the one who breathed breath into Adam, and Adam, (gasps) he was alive. 
Jesus is the source of every animal, every plant's life. And yet, Jesus is also the source of all spiritual life. If it were not for God, we would not be spiritually alive. We cannot find life in and of ourselves that is necessitated for spiritual life. We can't just decide to be spiritually alive. It has to come from somewhere, and it comes from Jesus. Nowhere else. He is the only source of that life. And then the third thing is that the life was the light of men. Again, another word with two meanings. This meaning, like natural revelation, that we can look at the universe and see things. Like last week, Steve's message, he talked about how our earth is perfectly placed within the universe to be able to discover things throughout the galaxy that it is all perfectly placed, that our ability to know things has a source, and that source is God. But then there's a greater knowledge. There's a greater light, and it's that light that comes inside of us and illuminates in us our need for Christ. For us to put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has to come inside of us and make us born again so that we would desire life. That life that light, it finds its source in Jesus. It doesn't come from anywhere else. So Jesus is the creator. He's the life giver and the light giver. John's going to bring us back to those two, those two images, light and life, repeatedly throughout his gospel. Those are words that he's going to use and build upon and give us images and fill them out so that we can fully grasp who Jesus is. And then there's one more activity that is so critical that I decide to pull it out and not put it under the activity category. And this is the words victory. And this is in verse five. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is beautiful in Greek. This is striking in Greek. And our English Bibles do a fantastic job of conveying it to us, but I'm convinced that we often don't slow down long enough to pick up on it. Go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Past tense, past tense, past tense, past tense, past tense, past tense, past tense. Present tense! This all happened before, 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 before. This continues to end even till today. The words victory did not end at Calvary. The words victory did not end when he walked out of that tomb. The words victory continues on till today. How was Jesus victorious? Well, John's going to show us through his gospel how Jesus was victorious, but it ultimately comes down to at the end of the gospel when, when John presents for us this horrific act. 
where Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest followers who was influenced by Satan to turn him over to the religious leaders, Judas Iscariot, who lied in wait to betray him. Even though Jesus had done no wrong, they wanted to get rid of him. So they betrayed Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus is then put under a sham trial, one where people lie and have conflicting stories and yet they, they still say he's guilty. What do they do? They hand him over to Pontius Pilate, the, the political leader, and Pontius Pilate says, this guy hasn't done anything wrong, but he's a chicken. And so he uh, delivers Jesus over because he's afraid of what the crowd will do. And so Jesus is whipped. He is mocked. He's tortured. He is ridiculed. He is treated shamefully. And then he is forced to carry a cross made of wood that he spoke into existence to a hill that he declared would exist to have his hands and feet pierced with metal made by him, by men who he created. He hung there and he died. And the enemy thought he was going to be victorious. The enemy tried to overcome him. The darkness did not overcome him, though. The darkness could not overcome him. What the enemy thought would be victory brought defeat. The enemy thought he was winning, and he was defeated. The enemy thought he was going to have his final victory. And yet, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day brought restitution, brought victory. Victory that for those of us, when we place our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, can be reconciled to God because each of us has sinned and rebelled against the Father. Each of us has rebelled against God and needs to have a reconciled relationship to him, but we are incapable of doing it ourselves, and so we needed Jesus. And so Jesus brought victory. Victory that continues on to this day. Victory that if we repent and believe, repent from our sins, turn from that which we find glorious and turn to that which is glorious, we will be saved where we repent from our self-righteousness, our, our pride, our self-gratification, our self-glorification, our self-direction, our self-government, and we turn and submit ourselves under the King of kings and Lord of lords. If we repent of those things and we believe, we will be saved. If you sit, are sitting here and you have never done that, if you have never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, let me urge you, let me implore you to do it today. Life comes from Jesus. We, we don't know when that life will end. We've all known people who have died unexpectedly. Various age ranges from zero 
to 99. We all know people who have died without any warning. We need to put our faith and trust in Jesus. This is the only place to find victory. He is the victorious one. If that's you, I would, if you see your need for that today, I would love to talk with you after service or there will be people in that corner who would love to pray with you. We, we desire for people to put their hope and trust in Jesus because it is the source of life. Not physical life, but spiritual life. Life that will last forever. Forever's a long time. It's a really good deal. Friends, for those of you that have put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, let this stand as a reminder that our Lord is victorious even till today. There's victory in Jesus. And I don't know the rest of the song. We have victory because he had victory. It is all rooted in him. The darkness tried to overcome him, but the light shines. So friends, the question for us today, or questions for us to reflect upon are, how will you respond to the word's introduction, and who do you need to introduce to the word? Friends, maybe you've been sitting here and you've been You've come to the realization that maybe you've, you've been looking at Jesus as if he is a created being, that he is somehow less than God. Now, you may not have ever vocalized that, but that's how you've been treating him. Friends, let your, your actions, let your thoughts be conformed to what is revealed, how God has revealed himself. Maybe you've been searching elsewhere for life, Maybe you've been looking for that which will bring you pleasure or satisfaction or hope in something other than Jesus. Friends, turn to him. Let your confession be consistent with your actions. Finally, friends, let, when we pray in just a moment, let's ask the Lord to show us who we can introduce to the word. John is making an introduction of the, the man, the God he knew to us. We have believed without seeing, which John will tell us at the end of his gospel, that Jesus will say this to Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing. We have seen, we have believed without seeing. Who can you tell about what you believe? Friends, we don't need to see it with our eyes because the word will reveal it to us. Let's pray. Jesus, in just the quietness of our hearts right now, Lord, we pray that you would show us, that you would reveal to us how we need to respond to you today. How we need to respond to your word that has revealed you to us. Lord, in just 
a few quiet moments. May your Holy Spirit impress upon us how we should respond. And may you also reveal to us who we, who we need to share this news with. Who we need to introduce to you, so to speak. God, not that you don't know them, but maybe this person has never heard your name before. Or maybe they've heard it a thousand times and we need to try again. So Lord, just in these next quiet moments, we ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal these things to us. Jesus, we thank you that you have seen fit to reveal yourself to us, that you as the word have disclosed yourself to us. Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you, the God of the universe, the one who was victorious, the one who has given us life. Lord, may we worship you for who you really are as you've revealed yourself. Precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So this week, my friends, may you live in light of the revealed word and seek to introduce others to him. Go in his peace.